And can I just say welcome to Northridge Church. If you don't know who I am, my name is Drew. And one thing we like to say at Northridge Church on a regular basis is just welcome home. Right? We, we desire that this gathering place at Webster online and here at Rochester would feel less like a, a big crowd and more like a, a family. A place where you're known and accepted and loved and a place where you can grow closer to God. And so, hey, at Rochester, can you help me do, can you do me a favor and help me welcome all of our campuses? Come on. Woo! Yeah, our online family, hey, whether you're watching, whether it's on the channel, CW, or you are at your home, or wherever you are, we love you guys. Welcome to our online campus. And those of you at Webster, man, it's been cool over the summer to get the chance to hang out with you, see what God is doing at Webster, and our Rochester family as well. It's great to be with you. To everyone, welcome to Northridge Church, and welcome home. And in life, have you, have you ever been in a situation where you, you just felt like the odds were stacked against you? Right, you were in a circumstance or, or some situation where it just felt like life was piling on you and there was no chance of success. You couldn't win. The odds were stacked against you. Maybe it just looks as simple as this, right? You go to bake your, your famous cookies for somebody and you, you go through the ingredients and you realize you don't have baking soda or baking powder, right? Good luck making a cookie. Or, or maybe it's a little bit, a little more severe than that, right? Maybe, it, you know, the NFL starting today? Can, can I get an amen? Come on, it's okay. It's okay to say amen. I'll say it for you guys. Come on. Go Bills, right? Okay, I knew you were out there. I see all the jerseys. The NFL, right? But if you go back a couple years, the NFL, right? Super Bowl, the Falcons are playing the New England Patriots, right? And what would most of us do? We turn the game off at halftime, right? Because the Falcons were crushing the Patriots. So we ate our pizza and our wings, and we forgot about the game. And actually, statistics say that the New England Patriots and Tom Brady had 0.3% chance of actually winning that game. But as we know, and I figured out Thursday night when I watched my Cowboys, you just don't give Tom Brady any time, <laughs> even when the odds are stacked against him. Or maybe it's even more severe than that, right? A, a girl who came into the world, her name was Igna, and she was born without arms. Or you want to talk about the odds being stacked against you? Come into the world without any arms, right? Like, how do you live a normal life? But yet this young woman, through perseverance and endurance, lives a normal life, what we would call normal without any arms, because the odds wouldn't stop her. And maybe today you feel like that about your life, right? The odds are stacked against you and your marriage. Because you look at where it's at and, and all the fights that you have and you just say the odds are, are stacked against us. It's just going to end in divorce. Maybe it's your, your future marriage, right, where you're single and you've been dating guy after guy, girl after girl, and, and you're just like, man, am I just, the odds just seem to say I'm just never going to be married. Maybe it's with your retirement, right? You've been saving and saving and just the odd makers say like, hey, you're just never going to have enough money in that account to stop working. Or maybe it's your future. You've been interviewing and interviewing job after job, and they keep saying no, and the odds are just stacking up, and they're saying, maybe, maybe I'm just not hireable. The good news is today, in, in, in life, we, we experience those moments, and we're starting this series out called Against All Odds. And what we're going to do over seven weeks is we're going to study the Bible in chronological order, person after person who walked through life and the odds were stacked against them. And we're going to see through their trust in God, God overcame the odds. He overcame the odds. We're going to see it in story after story. And the key ingredient to overcoming the odds is that word. It's trust. 
That's what this series is all about. Learning and growing in our trust to God. The problem is, is we're not really good at trusting. Right? It's hard because the reason why is, is we don't like to trust fully. Why? Because it puts us in a position to be hurt. To trust, you got to rely on somebody. And a lot of times when you do trust somebody, they let you down. And it hurts you. And so what we've done throughout society and in our relationships is we've tried trust. It didn't work out. And so we build up these walls in our lives and we don't trust. In fact, our culture is there right now, right? Our society is there right now. We're, we're waging war with this idea, this concept, this major issue called trust. And culture, you guys, us, everybody in our world today is asking really two questions. Who can I trust? And what can I trust? Right? You've probably maybe asked these questions or you've heard somebody ask these questions in our current climate. Can I trust the government? Can I trust a vaccine to protect me? Can I trust the information the media is giving me? Can I trust the former or the current president? You see, right now, we are asking these questions on this topic, right? Trust. And here's the problem. We take all this trust baggage that we all have, and we bring it into our relationship with God. And it's really hard to trust God that you don't see. A God with a Bible that is really, really old? And you know what's hard about that is maybe above everything else, the very thing that God wants from you is your trust. Right? If you, maybe if you were to ask God, God, what do you want from me? He might just say to you, I just want you to trust me fully. In fact, our theme verse for this series is Proverbs chapter 3. Look what the author says. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he, God, will make your paths straight. So we see it's evidence in the Bible that, that God wants our trust, not just pieces of it, but all of it. And then what we see in Proverbs chapter 3, it teaches us a couple things about trust early on. The first thing, to trust God, right, you don't need all the answers. But we want them, don't we? Right? When, when, when it comes to trust, if you have all the answers, is that really trust? Right? What we most do is we say to God, hey, I'll, I'll do what you want me if you dot every T and cross every, if you dot every I and cross every T. That's how those work, just by the way. Okay? <laughs> just, just testing you, okay? Right? We want God to just paint the picture fully, and once we see the picture and we like the picture, we're okay going with the picture. But is that trust? No, what I call that is manipulation. That's what I call it. We manipulate God to giving us control rather than him. And we say, God, you give me the answers, and then I'll trust you. The second thing Proverbs teaches us here is you don't, when you trust, you're going to need to submit to somebody else. This is what's really hard about trust for all of us is when I put my faith and trust in someone or something, I now am, am, am giving control to that person or that thing. And we don't like that because we've been hurt by that. So we just choose not to trust anything. 
But when it comes to this, this word trust, the reality is, the bottom line is, we all trust something. But the question is, is it worthy of our trust? Right? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I just don't trust anything. That's false. If you don't trust anything, you trust yourself. And so we are all putting our belief, our trust into something. But the question is, is it worthy of the trust we're giving it? We're banking on something, whether it's yourself, someone else, or something. We all trust in something, but is that really worth it? Let me put it to you like this. I'll show you how I think we trust pretty regularly and, and, and weekly. Like, let me ask you this. Show me your hands, right, at Webster, online, here at Rochester. How many of you like road trips? Throw your hands in the air. Okay, a lot of you. I'm learning, Okay. I'm learning to like road trips, and maybe it's a slow journey because I have four kids, okay? So it can get pretty, pretty wild in the car when you're driving a long period of time. And so on my sabbatical, we went on a pretty lengthy road trip, right? And anybody knows, whether you're taking a short trip or a long trip, two things you got to know. One, where you're going and how you're going to get there, right? And so let me just take you on a little bit of a journey of, of, of road trips and how people have done that. Right back in the day when I was a young boy, my dad would use an antique. <laughs> you might not know what this is. It's called an atlas, okay? It's full of maps. And so, you know, as a family, all six of us, we'd get in our town and country minivan. And dad would be driving, mom would be in the passenger seat, and we were all in the back. And, and dad would, would, would pull out the map, right, because he needed to know where we're going. And Every once in a while, dad would get flustered with mom not doing a good job with the map, and he would hand it back, and the first one of the kids that grabbed it was now in charge of directing the minivan. And when you grab this, dad would do you know, two things. He'd say, okay, here's the interstate we're on. Here's the city we're next to. You need to tell me in 10 minutes where we're going next. And you were like, what? what? Have you seen the writing on these things? Like, I have good eyes, and like, I can't. Dad, I... And every once in a while, you'll get to like a state where it crosses lines, and you're like, we're here, and then we're, now we're there. We're here, and now we're there. Okay? And so, hey, some of you, like, good for you. This is how you got around everywhere. But then technology started to advance. Oh, yeah, and then we came to MapQuest. <laughs> right? And MapQuest was great. They gave you a map and, like, line-by-line -line directions, right? It was great. The problem was is, like, if you're alone you got to read the, the, the thing. Everybody's so mad about texting and driving. We used to read and drive at the same time. <laughs> and what's hard about MapQuest is like, okay, in 9.27 miles, seriously, come on. I don't know what 9.27 miles are. Look at your odometer and oh, turn left now, okay? But then technology got even better, and pretty much every day, meetings at work, we just grab our phone and say, yo, Siri, take me here. And Siri's amazing, right? She gives me this, like, soft-spoken Australian woman who's like, good day, mate. Turn left in 3.5 miles. This is, like, soothing to go where you need to go. But here's the reality. I don't care which process you use, whether you still use Maps or MapQuest or Siri to help you. It all requires one thing. Trust. You've got to trust that that map is actually accurate. You gotta trust that those directions are gonna get you where you wanna go. You gotta trust that Siri said, hey, I'm going to Five Willow Drive, New York, not Michigan. Because when they get it wrong, <laughs> yeah, it gets frustrating, but you have to trust. 
And here's my question for us today. Why are we so willing to blindly follow our technology, but we struggle to follow the creator of the universe? I'm serious. Like with our phone, hey, this thing will do anything I need. I just ask it and it provides for me. But yet when it comes to God, it's like, hold on a second, God. You need to answer a lot of my questions before I ever trust you. We'll trust our phone more than we trust your sustainer, your creator, the God who created everything that we see. We struggle to trust him. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to dig deep into this word trust. And my prayer for my life and your life is that I would learn to trust God and I would grow in my trust towards God. And so if you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'd encourage you to grab the Northridge Church app. You can take notes Genesis 6, let me paint the picture for you. It's really early on in your Bible. It's the first book, right? And in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, God creates the world as we know it. He creates the heavens and the earth, light and and darkness, and he creates male and female, like all of it, the birds, all the animals. It's it's created. And then in chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey God's one rule. They sin, and sin comes in the picture. They're kicked out of the garden, and they're given just one command, be fruitful and multiply. And so Adam and Eve start having kids. Their kids start having kids, and, and the earth begins to become populated full of of people. And and guess what was true about all these people? They were really good at following Adam and Eve's example of sin and wickedness because the world in this time period is very wicked. Let me actually describe it to you in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And every, think about that, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe them from the face of the earth, the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So we hear at the beginning of this story that that humanity is wicked. Right? You think about how, how crazy that is, that every inclination, every thought, every action was only evil all the time. You know, we complain about our society a lot as Christians, but yet we still get to see the good in humanity. In this culture, in this time period, there was none of that. Every thought, every inclination was evil. And we see a side of God that we don't often see where God is, 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 is troubled. God is is ticked off. He's mad at all the wickedness spreading. And he actually says, I regret making humans. And we don't have a lot of time to to really dig into the theology of that. If you listen to our podcast on Tuesdays, it releases every Tuesday. We're going to dig a little bit into that. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But also this story, you're going to have some questions. I'd encourage you. I want.info, if you go to our equip email, you sign up for that. We're going to send you resources to help you with the questions that you have. And so God is like, I'm just going to get rid of humanity. I'm going to just wipe it out. But the story changes with just one word. The next verse starts with but. And I don't know about you, but this is going to sound middle school, but I love the buts of the Bible. Because usually they mean God's saving us from ourselves. But God showed mercy. But God died while we were still running, right? And here we see Out of all the wickedness in the world, there was still one man who wasn't. It says, but 
Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so just think about that, that, that sharp contrast, right? Think about the description at the beginning of, of the world, right? Wickedness. Every inclination was evil all the time, and then you come to Noah, and it's the complete opposite. Noah was blameless. He was righteous, and he walked faithfully with God. And can I tell you today, Christian, that's how you should be described. In a, in a, in a culture that is walking away from God, we should be going the different direction. When, when God looks at us, does he see someone who fits in or someone who stands out? who's righteous and blameless. That was Noah. And because Noah's faithfulness, God found favor with him, and he uses Noah to spare mankind. Even though God wants to wipe out the human race, he sees Noah and he says they're worth saving. Genesis 4, we see that plan, right? God comes to Noah and he says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. And so God comes to Noah and says, hey, I'm going to use you to spare humanity. And here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to build a boat. I want you to build an ark because it's going to rain and I'm going to flood the earth. And, and as we read this story from our Western, our 21st century, this makes total sense, right? Like, you're going to have a flood, you're going to want a big boat, right? This just makes sense. But let's read this story from Noah's perspective. God comes to Noah and says, hey, I want you to build an ark. Hold on a second, God. Uh, what's an ark? You realize Noah had probably never seen a boat before? And if he did, it was a tiny one. It wasn't a cruise liner. Right, so the first part of this calling is like, hey, I need you to build a boat that you've never seen before. Oh, yeah, and it's going to rain. Hold on a second, God. What's rain? Now, we deal with rain pretty significantly here in Rochester, right? But most scholars believe that it hadn't rained on the earth. The springs of the earth actually watered the ground. That's how it was in the Garden of Eden. And so most scholars believe that Noah had never seen rain before. So wait, God, you, you want me to build a boat I haven't seen for, for something that I haven't experienced? You want to talk about the odds stacked against you? Noah is like, okay, God, this is kind of confusing. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I have no clue what I'm doing. And it probably got a little bit worse later, but look what Hebrews 11 says. It says, by faith, let's, let's replace that word kind of with the same word, by trust, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And so it was bad, but God would make it a little bit harder for Noah. Verse 19, it says, You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away for food for you, and food for them. No, this is really important. Make sure you bring food for the animals or you might become the food of the animals. Right? Okay, think about that, right? I got to build a boat. I don't know what a boat is. I got to prepare for rain. I don't know what rain is. Oh, and now I've got to take care of every kind of animal. Right? This is a, a daunting task. This is almost ridiculous. And here's the reality. God, when he came to Noah, he wasn't asking Noah to be a master craftsman. 
When God came to Noah, he wasn't asking him to be a meteorologist. When God came to Noah, he wasn't asking him to be a veterinarian. When God came to Noah, he was asking one simple question. Noah, do you trust me? I know this sounds crazy, Noah. I know you've never seen a boat. I know you don't know what rain is. I know you don't know how to take care of animals. But Noah, do you trust me? Right, what does Proverbs say? It says, trust God with all of your heart. You're not going to lean on what you know and what you understand and what makes sense. You're going to lean on God. And guess what? You aren't directing your path. Guess who is? God. And can I tell you today, if Noah can trust God with a boat he's never seen, and if Noah can trust God with rain he's never experienced, and if Noah can take care of animals he's never taken care of, you today can trust God with your life. You today can trust God with your kids, your future, your retirement, your singleness, your job, your finances, your future, whatever it is, you can trust God. And so let's see how Noah responded. Because I think in Noah's response to God, we see a lot about what trust truly is. Genesis 6 and Genesis 7, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Genesis chapter 7, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And right here, as we start this series on trust, Noah defines it. Noah brings clarity to this word that I think in our culture today and in people's relationships, we have forgotten what truly trust is. And Noah makes it clear, trust is 100%. When you trust somebody, you either do it or you don't. When it comes to God, you either trust him or you don't. There's no neutral. There's no middle ground. I don't kind of trust God. I either do it or I don't because trust is 100%. And we see this, the evidence of this in, in, in the two words that, that, that describe Noah's response. Everything and all. Noah did everything that God commanded him. Noah did it all. You see, he didn't pick and choose the pieces of God's plan that he liked. Hey, God, I like this boat idea. I'd like to learn how to build a boat. And, you know, I don't know about rain, but I I, I could get ready for that. But the animals, God, that's just weird. Okay, so two out of three with God, we'd call that a win, right? No. You're either faithful to God or you're not. You do it all you trust him with your life or you don't. I mean, think about this for a second. Okay, it, it, we just got through wedding season, right? Yeah, I mean, come on, let's go. At least someone's paying attention, right? <laughs> so it's wedding season, right? And, and, you know, weddings are beautiful. Like some of you, you just reminisce about your wedding or some of you are getting ready to, to, to be the star of the wedding. And, you know, every wedding is in flowers or in bloom, and it's beautiful, and the groom comes out in his really nice, trendy, you know, tuxedo or tie or jeans or whatever, I don't know. And, and the groom, or not the groom, the, the bride, the star of the show, walks down that aisle in, in her beautiful white dress, and she's glowing, she's gorgeous, and, and man, grandma's crying, mom's crying. It's just like this beautiful scene. And then you get to the part of the ceremony that's really important, right? Where, where the husband and wife, they, they, they look at each other and they exchange vows. And can you imagine if the groom looked at his bride and he says, baby, I will trust you most of the time. <laughs> and she's like, that's fine, because I'm going to trust you about 50% of the time. <laughs> can I tell you, that's how we do relationships. 
That's why a lot of marriages fail, because trust is a percentage to us. It's not at 100%. That's why we struggle with God, because he wants all of me, not just pieces of me. And so, so, so Noah teaches us that trust is 100% of putting your faith in God. But the second thing he teaches us is that trusting God is, is a marathon, not a sprint. I think we abuse God. I do. I think we use God for a safety net. Right, because I don't want to experience hell and all the, the nastiness of this. So I'll tell God I'll trust him in that moment so he can be my safety net. Right? We view this exchange with God, this one-time exchange. It's like he's our ATM. God, I need you to protect me for all of eternity. And so I'll trust you right now. But the rest of my life, I, I got this. You don't need this. And in trusting God as Christ followers, if we truly trust God, it's a mantle we carry on and we say, God, whatever and wherever you call me, I trust you. I want you to think about this. God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build a boat. Most scholars believe the boat, to build the boat, it took 55 to 75 years. Let's think about this for a second. 55 years preparing, building a boat, and it's never rained. Do you think there were times in Noah's life where he was like, am I crazy? Have I lost my mind? Did I really hear God's voice telling me to, to build a boat? Because I've been grinding, I've been, I've been cutting wood, and, and the ground is drier than it was before. I can barely water my crops, and I'm banking on a rain that's going to flood the earth. <laughs> Have I lost my mind? And you can bet the town, the culture, was looking at Noah and being like, oh my goodness, this guy is nuts. What is wrong with him? And he's dragging his family into this journey. Like, bro, get a grip. Look around you. It's been 30 years. Anybody see any rain? No. <laughs> you know what's sad? Is we grow weary with God after three months. We get frustrated with God when he doesn't come through after a year. Three months and Noah grinded out for 55 to 75 years, trusting that God would provide exactly what he said he would provide. And I know some of you get this because right now you're trusting God to, to bring your children back to him. And you've been praying year after year and you're growing weary. You're like, God, I, I want to trust you, but can you do something? Some of you, I've been sitting in counseling for your marriage and you're just waiting for your spouse to change and you've been praying and praying and you're like, God, I haven't seen any evidence of you moving. Some of you are waiting on a spouse and you're like, God, I've been praying for year after year and nothing. How can I trust you, God, when you won't do anything for me? Can you imagine 55 years? That's the minimum most scholars believe. And Noah was willing to wait because he trusted God with everything, 100%. And then the day came, Genesis chapter 7, where his trust came to fruition. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of heaven were opened, and the rain 
fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, guess what they did? They entered the ark. Fifty-five years of trust, and then one raindrop fell. Do you want to know why you can trust God today? Because when he says something, he does something. It might not be on your timetable. It might not be what you think it's going to be. But when God promises you something, I promise you he will come through with it. It might take 55 years. It might take till you get to heaven, but you can bank on God because God never, fulfill, he never doesn't fulfill his promise. And Noah, although he had doubts probably, although he questioned himself, on that day he said, God, you are faithful and you are worthy of my trust. So I just have two questions for you. We'll wind down and we're going to dig even deeper into this word. But I want two questions to marinate your heart all week long. I want the Spirit of God to, you just can't get around these two questions, right? When you turn your GPS on at work on Monday, you're like, dang it, Drew, I got to try. I want you to think about this. And the first question is simple, but yet it's probably one of the most powerful questions of your life. Do you trust God? For a second, let's realize what this is. This is not a, a group question. This is an individual question. You can't bank on grandma's trust in God to get you where you need to go. You can't bank on your boyfriend or your girlfriend's, your spouse's trust, your, your parents' trust, the legacy. you got to bank on yours. And so this is for you, not anybody else. It's for you as an individual. It's for me. Do you trust God? And I'm not talking about this portion of your life. I'm not talking about segments of your life. I'm talking about with everything, your children, your work, your future, your future spouse, your dating relationship, in every area of your life, do you trust God? Think about it. As you go through the week, when you make choices, do you trust him? You see, where does trust start? It starts with a relationship with God. Right? Our journey, we, most of us, we think this, the journey of trust ends here. It's actually the beginning where we recognize, just like in Genesis chapter 6, we are sinners, we're flawed, and because of our sin, we're all of sinners, every single one of us. I'm not picking on anybody. We are all sinners, and because of our sin, it separated us from God because he's holy. But through Jesus Christ, he came and died in your place, in my place, and rose again on the third day. And if we choose to trust in his work, we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And that's where trust begins. And I would ask you, have you made that de declaration with your life? Because it's not just words coming out of your mouth. It's your heart saying, it's all yours, God. And if you haven't done that, listen, that's okay. We're so glad that you're here. But man, I'm telling you, the people of this church desperately want you to do that. To surrender to God. And if you have questions, we're not afraid of them. So go to Iwant.info. Talk to the person who invited you. Hey, just meet somebody out next in the lobby or send your, your, your questions through the chat online. To start your journey of trust with God. But then for most of us as, as followers of Christ, let me ask you a second question. Not only do you trust God with all your life, but has that trust continued to stretch you? 
Right? Most of us as Christians, we're like, yeah, I trust God. He's good. But that trust actually makes our life easier rather than more uncomfortable. And I just don't think that's, that's the way God wants it. I think as a follower of Christ, man, I, I, as I carry this mantle of trust on my shoulders, God's calling in my life can take me places maybe I never wanted to go to, to ask me to do things I, I might not have all the answers to. Can I ask you, has your trust in God made you crazy generous when it doesn't make sense? Has your trust in God made you comfortable being uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Has your trust in God made you bold at your workplace and in your office and in your home and in your classroom sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, inviting people to church? Has your trust in God caused you to save yourself before marriage when the culture is going a different direction? Has your trust in God made you look like Noah when the world's calling you a moron, idiotic, and you're like, I'm following Jesus because I trust him? Maybe a better question is, does this describe your life today? Proverbs 3, that you would trust in the Lord with everything that you are. And because of that trust, you don't need to know the answers. You don't have to have that picture painted, but you choose to submit to God and his ways rather than your ways. And you're banking on, not on yourself, but him to direct your path. Do you trust God? Let's pray together. God, I know in my own life, I struggle to trust because I've been hurt and I carry that hurt around. It's baggage and I put walls up in my life that keep me from trusting not only people, but you fully. And God, I, I know there are many people here listening that are like me. So God, I pray this week that we would take that question seriously that we would evaluate, we would look deep into our souls and ask us, do I really trust God with all of my life? And maybe this is the beginning of the process to transferring our full trust in you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.